Good morning and welcome to PepsiCo's 2022 fourth quarter earnings question and answer session. Your lines have been placed on listen only until it's your turn to ask a question. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Ravi Pamnani, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Pamnani, you may begin. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. I hope everyone has had a chance this morning to review our press release and prepared remarks, both of which are available on our website. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. We may make forward-looking statements on today's call, including about our business and plans and 2023 guidance. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties and only reflect our view as of today, February 9th, 2023, and we are under no obligation to update. As a reminder, PepsiCo's fourth quarter 2022 includes 17 weeks of results, and our fiscal 2022 year includes 53 weeks of results. When discussing our results, we refer to non-GAAP measures, which exclude certain items from reported results. Please refer to our Q4 2022 earnings release and 2022 Form 10-K, available on PepsiCo.com for definitions and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures and additional information regarding our results, including a discussion of factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from forward-looking statements. Joining me today are PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuarta, and PepsiCo's Vice Chairman and CFO, Hugh Johnston. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question. And with that, I will turn it over to the operator for the first question. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question or a comment at this time, please press star 1-1 on your touchstone phone. If your question has been answered and you wish to move yourself from the queue, please press star 1-1 again. We'll pause for a moment while we compile our Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Darren Moschini with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Darren. So I, I just wanted to focus on the 2023 top-line growth outlook after, very, after another very strong quarter here in Q4. Can you just give us a quick update on the business so far in 2023, given there's some concerns around macros and the consumer? Are you seeing momentum continue or any signs of, of incremental consumer weakness? And then second, how does that translate the price mix? Obviously, very strong pricing in Q4. In theory, there's need for more pricing given the continued cost pressures in 23. But as I just mentioned, there's some worries around the consumer and, in theory, more retailer pushback. So just help us understand within that organic sales growth outlook how much is, is price mix. Uh, are you, is a lot of that carryover pricing from 2022 or are you assuming more pricing in 2023? Thanks. Good morning, Darren. This is, uh, this is Ramon. Uh, listen, the, the, way, uh, the way we feel about the consumer uh, is uh, based on employment data and, and wage growth around the world is, is positive. Um, in our um, assumption for the year, we're thinking uh, elasticities might get uh, worse going into the second half of the year based on you know, multiple scenarios that we have, uh, obviously, uh, they are very changing. Uh, you know, you, we just had some recent changes in some other in multiple parts of the world. But we're feeling that that might happen, that there are worse elasticities in the second half of the year, and that's why we're, you know, we're guiding to a 6%. Uh, we feel comfortable with uh, 
with the way the business is going, as you could saw from uh, Q4, a good uh, momentum in our brands and, and good share momentum in, in, in many geographies around the world. But you know, the, the key, the most important thing for, for you to think about is we're going to keep investing in the quality of our products. We're going to keep investing in the, uh, in the strength of our brands. We'll keep making our go-to-market systems uh, stronger. So no matter what happens with the, uh, with, with the consumer, we're going to be, I think, preferred uh, choice for a lot of the consumers and, and, and uh, you know, our customers, and that's how we're planning for next year. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Your line is open. Great. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I was curious, in the release, there were a couple mentions of, of two things. Um, one, brand exits and, and portfolio management, and the other was there were a number of in, impairments. And I know, you know, anyone who acquired a business pre-pandemic is pretty much taking an, an impairment, so that's kind of due course. Um, but I thought it might be a good opportunity to get an idea on how some of these businesses um, have been faring in the sense of what they've added capability or portfolio-wise or maybe where they've fallen short, again, notwithstanding the, the pandemic dynamics, and then just color on what some of those brand exits and, and portfolio management mentions were in reference to. Thanks. Yeah, hey, hey Lauren, it's you. I'll, I'll handle that one. Uh, it, it was really a couple of things that, that drove it. Uh, number one is, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, pre-pandemic uh, interest rates were awfully low and prices were, were pretty high for a number of these assets. Uh, and as we've sort of moved forward, we, we've taken a hard look at, at the cash flows uh, sort of in a post-pandemic world. Combine that with the fact that uh, interest rates are, are obviously uh, materially higher, so we're discounting those cash flows at a, at a different rate. Um, the, the, the couple that, that I'd point to uh, during the course of the year, Mabel uh, in, in Brazil was one uh, pioneer uh, a little bit as well, and then, uh, and then SodaStream where, you know, SodaStream is more of a consumer discretionary type of purchase compared to our, uh, the, the balance of our portfolio, and as you would expect, behaved more like, like a consumer discretionary purchase. So, uh, we took the opportunity to look at the numbers going forward on that uh, and, and the, the investment posture we were going to have in that business. And as a result, we, we wrote down a piece of that business as well. So I, I think we put ourselves in a spot now we're in a, in a higher interest rate world. Uh, we're, we're in a better position in terms of where we've marked those assets to. Yeah, uh, Lauren, uh, strategically, SolidString continues to be a uh, very central to the uh, transformation of the beverage category. We think that there is a, um, a huge opportunity to enable consumers to uh, personalize their drinks and, 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 and have a type of consumption where there's no plastics and where, where there's a lot of convenience for consumers at home or in offices or even on the go. So it continues to be very sensible, but as Hugh was saying, there was obviously a, uh, you know, a situation, especially in Europe, with uh, inventories and, and, and the uh, you know the the, uh, the discretionary consumption that uh, we took this opportunity to uh, uh, reassess the value of the asset. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Andrew Texier with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. 
Thank you, good, thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone. Um, if you can talk about how to think about operating leverage, you have historically been able to use about one billion per year in productivity uh, to offset inflation, and now coming in to this year on top of a, like a very strong inflation, but also really uh, healthy um, carryover from pricing. How should we be thinking in terms of like the ability to flex your P&L? Uh, any particular um, you invested, I think we all appreciate that you invested a lot more in A&P, strong double-digit growth in the last quarter. How to think about A&P investments into 2023? Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that one, Andrea. Uh, I, a couple of comments on that. N- number one, obviously, inflation is still out there as, as a factor for us, partly uh, the fact that inflation is still high. It's not as high as it was before, but the, the numbers are still relatively high. Um, number two, in terms of the way uh, the way we're approaching the year, uh, we're looking to drive a lot of productivity this year, and at the same time, we're looking to continue to, to put investments back into the business because we think that's what's driving the top line, and consumers are clearly responding positively to it. So if you net all of that out, uh, my expectation is that our gross and operating margins will be at least in line with where we were in 2022. Uh, and perhaps a little bit better. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Brian Splane with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey, uh, thanks, operator. Good morning, guys. Um, Hugh, 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 I wanted to ask you a question about uh, cash flow and capital allocation. And I, I guess in, in terms of cash flow, just the you know, free cash flow this year, step down versus last year. Uh, so if you could talk a little bit about just what's happening in cash from operations, is it a timing thing? Uh, you know, it looks like working capital has, has, has ticked up a bit. And then second, you know, the dividend going up 10% this year, um, or, you know, just what you announced today. So can you just remind us again just how you're thinking about capital allocation uh, as, as part of a total shareholder return model and, and just, you know, how that factors into decision-making in terms of capital allocation going forward. Yeah, happy to, Brian. Let me me start broad, and then I'll I'll sort of narrow it in. Very broadly, the capital allocation principles we have are are no different than than what we've had in the past, the the four basics of make sure we invest in the business, pay the dividend, uh, tuck in acquisitions and share repurchase. Uh, if I zero it in a little bit more for the environment that we're, we're in right now with some of the changes, uh, I think our biggest priorities right now are going to be continuing to invest in the business and growing the dividend. And that, that's not a, a, just a today statement, although obviously 10% dividend growth is a pretty, pretty healthy growth in, uh, in our current environment. But I, I think those are our, our bigger priorities uh, relative to perhaps uh, tuck in there and, and relative to perhaps share repurchase. Um, you know, the, the 10% dividend growth is, is bigger than what we've done in, in a number of years. And I, I, I think, you know, you'll see us prioritize that a bit more over time. Um, so I, it, oh, I'm sorry. And then the last piece is about uh, working capital. Yeah, the, the, the time, we basically had a timing issue on that. You, you know we're doing some IT, uh, IT implementations. Uh, and in terms of the IT implementations, uh, essentially, we paid for it about two weeks uh, worth of payables uh, just to take some pressure off the IT systems because we had some freezes at the beginning of the year. So that, that's what pulled that number down. That was probably worth about 500 or so million dollars 
uh, right at the end of the year. It's not a, cha- a material change in cash flow. It's a two-week timing issue. So I think you'll see that bounce back as we get to the uh, to the end of 23. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. All right. Thank you. Good morning. Um, you rolled out a new and approved Pepsi Zero Sugar, so just hoping for some more color behind this initiative and, you know, really how incremental you think this can be. I mean, maybe you guys could give us a sense of how big your your Zero platform is currently and what percentage of your portfolio this could be in the next few years. And then finally, you know, just maybe some insight in terms of how big of a push you plan to be making behind the rollout in terms of marketing spend, activation, et cetera. You know, any call on some of these initiatives would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, Bonnie. Uh, yes. Uh, listen, uh, yeah, zero is is clearly a segment of the beverage category that is growing uh, much faster than kind of full sugar all over the world. And, uh Pepsi Zero has, or Pepsi Max, as we call it in some markets, has been a very strategic product for us um, in Europe uh, and in other parts of the world. Um, in the U.S., um, we were investing in other parts of the Pepsi brand. Now, um, you know, this is going to be the center of, uh, of the strategy for the Pepsi brand. We think that the non-sugar segment of colas will continue to uh, we're all very fast in this country. We're seeing consumers pivoting. I think the R&D uh, in, in our company has done a great job in giving consumers zero sugar choices that are as good as full sugar choices or better in, from the taste point of view. And we're asking consumers zero sacrifice to pivot to uh, to zero, uh, zero sugar version. So that's that's the principle why we think that the category will continue to pivot and why the brand will continue to uh, invest in, in moving consumers into that space. How big it's going to be, I, th- I think eventually it's going to be a large part of the, uh, of the brand, uh, not only here in the U.S., but all over the world. We, we improved the formula. We moved the formula closer to uh, the formula we have in, in, uh, in uh, Western Europe and some other parts of the world. It's a more refreshing formula. It's closer to... Uh, to our original flavor, and um, I think, I mean, the initial results are very good. The consumer testing was excellent. Uh, we're going to be investing now in the Super Bowl, but we continue throughout the year. It's going to be one of the pillars of growth of our um, of, of our CSD business in the U.S. And, and, Bonnie, just to give you a data point, Pepsi Zero Sugar grew 26% volume in the fourth quarter. So that business is really growing. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Peter Grom with UBS. Your line is open. Thanks, operator, and, and good morning, everyone. So I wanted to ask about the long-term organic revenue algorithm um, of 4 to 6% and recognizing that a lot of the upside the past few years has been driven by pricing, but this is now the third straight year that you're expected to be at the high end or above the high end of the range. And I guess as you take a step back and, and look at your performance and think about the path ahead, you know, has anything changed in how you think about that target? You mentioned increased spending is driving the top line. Do you have a higher degree of confidence that Pepsi can consistently be at the higher end of that range longer term? So just like any perspective on whether you feel differently today about the building blocks of that algorithm versus, you know, maybe 2019 would be really helpful. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Um, 
we, we feel good about the return that we're getting on our investments that we've made both in, you know, in our brands. And you see our A&M has gone up significantly since uh, 19, and the same with our CapEx, right? We, we've added a lot of capacity, a lot of go-to-market strength to our business, and we see the, um, you know, the consumer reacting to that very positively. Uh, we've also invested a lot in quality and, and, and our brands. Our products are, are, are better, are more consistent, are better tasting. So, um, yeah, from that, that point of view, we're, we're happy to the, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're winning market share in many markets around the world. So, yes, we're feeling good that we can be uh, close to the top end of the uh, of our uh, long-term uh, growth uh, algorithm uh, for uh, the continuous future. Uh, now, obviously, the last two years has been a bit more pricing that we would, would, would expect uh, going forward long-term. Uh, but if you think about the mix of growth between developed and developing markets, I think we have tremendous opportunities for growth in developing markets. Uh, the per capita is still very, very low. And we have good playbooks to develop those per caps in, in, in a lot of those uh, consumer bases. And we know how to grow developed markets as well. So, you know, you, you, will, you will see us uh, continuing to invest in our brands, continue to invest in our go-to markets, in what drives the top line, what makes consumers stay with our brands. And we'll, uh, we'll guide every year to the particular circumstances of volume and pricing that we see for that particular year. And, and Peter, just as a reminder, both Ramon and I have, have said in the past that, that our goal is to, to be at the high end of that guidance. Uh, and, and also as a reminder, recall five years or so ago, our, our long-term guidance was four to six, but we were struggling to get to four. We were averaging somewhere in the, the low to mid threes. So it's obviously a material acceleration where we've been as recently as five years ago. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks. Morning, everyone, and uh, congratulations on the strong result this year. Um, I would like an update on PB&A, please, on, on two fronts, Mountain Dew and then segment margins more broadly. So market share, nice to see Gatorade performing well, though the company's market share continues to slide here a bit in, in CSDs, most notably with one of your power brands in, in Mountain Dew. So, Ramon, perhaps an update there on uh, your investment plans behind Mountain Dew to try to turn around some of the uh, some of the share loss, and then just relatedly, how does the scope of your investment, not just in Dew but 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 broadly in PB&A, how does that impact your other key priority within that segment of restoring margins towards uh, mid-teens? So, thank you for that. Listen, uh, thank you, thank you, Kevin. Uh, we, we feel good about, or very good actually, about the progress that PB&A is making in in this triangle of growing the top line, improving the margins, and keeping share. And that, that's, the, uh, that's the balance we're trying to, um, to strike every year as we go forward. Now, there are things of the portfolio we feel very good and things that we have to do work. Things that we feel very good, as you mentioned, all this sports nutrition category, uh, Gatorade, obviously, but Propel and some of the other brands are doing very, very well. That's a big area of investment. We're getting the returns. We feel very good about the Pepsi brand, Pepsi brand is growing is growing well. Now we're we're investing behind zero as we we discussed. We feel good about the coffee portfolio. Finally, we've gone beyond some of the supply chain challenges, and that Starbucks range is going to be very very good for us. It already we saw it in Q4. It's, it's going to continue this year. Um, we feel good about energy. We feel good about energy. The steps we're 
we're making uh, to improve uh, Rockstar, to, uh, as I said, the uh, coffee portfolio, and then the Celsius uh, integration into our portfolio has gone very smoothly, um, and, and that brand has keeps gaining market share behind our uh, improved distribution and, you know, I think the, uh, the attractiveness of the, uh, of the product. So that is a, a very strong um, set of uh, growth opportunities that we're going to continue to dial, dial up in our investments and our execution and our customer plans, which are very strong for 23. Now, as you mentioned, an opportunity is Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, we keep refining the positioning, we keep refining the product, and we're going to be investing. But, you know, the, the, this is just a small part of a, of a very large portfolio. There's a lot of positives in, in, that, in that portfolio. Now, when you see the triangle, we're trying to improve the margins as well. As we said, we, we are not deviating from our long-term goal, uh, actually not so long-term goal, to go to uh, uh, mid-teens with, with this business. You saw we're progressing in, in Q4. It was a good good step forward, and that continues to be the plan for 23 and beyond. So we're going to dial in up efficiency. We're going to dial in up investment behind the key brands, and we're improving our execution, which has been painful throughout the, uh, the COVID uh, and, and, and subsequent year, uh, especially as labor market was, was very tight. And Kevin, just to, to add a few numbers to that, uh, for the year, uh, PB&A grew revenue 11%, which is obviously quite strong, and, and operating profit grew strongly as well. Uh, the, as Ramon mentioned, the, the mid-teens margin thesis is still very much intact, and the drivers are still very much intact. Uh, for the year, we improved operating margins 43 basis points in the business, and in the fourth quarter, margins were up 110 basis points. So we're, we're making good progress and good momentum on both fronts. Uh, top line's obviously been, been terrific, uh, and we're making good progress on, on the cost side as well, and I expect we'll, we'll continue to see improvement into 23. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Vivian Azer with Calvin. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Uh, I was hoping that we could dive into the Frito-Lay margin um, expectations, please. Obviously, the top line has seriously benefited from very um, effective advertising, but we have seen a couple of years of margin compression there. So how should we think about that going forward, please? Thank you. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, the Frito business is, is the jewel of PepsiCo, <laughs> and this business you know, we've put a lot of investments in the last couple of years and continues to respond even uh, every year better to those to those investments. Investments went into quality of product. Investments went into, uh, uh, you know, increased advertising, broader portfolio of brands that we're supporting. Investments went into go-to-market, uh, even some infrastructure bottlenecks that we had in our uh, distribution systems. The, the truth is that we feel very good about this business growing uh, very close to uh, 18%, I think, in the, for the full year. And, and the, um, you know, the, the operating uh, profit growth uh, of Frito this year is in the double digits, which we haven't, we haven't seen in, in, like in the history almost. So we're feeling good about the balance of growth, top line, bottom line that we see in Frito. And as you can imagine, we will continue to invest in Frito-Lay um, in the coming years because that's the highest margin business in PepsiCo and 
the highest ROIC that we can have um, in our investment. Yeah, and, and again, just to put a few numbers to the to the points Ramon was making, we 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 have a Frito business with a with a 27% operating margin for the full year, which is a really wonderful operating margin. Obviously, and when you have a mar- margin that high, your goal should be grow that business as, as fast as you possibly can. We grew at 18% in the fourth quarter and 17% for the full year. This is free to lay, yeah, 17% full year revenue growth. Um, so, look, you know, I, obviously you, you, you can't continue to, to see margins go down, but at the same time with 11% dollar operating profit growth for free to lay, uh, that, that's terrific operating profit growth. That, that's that's an equation we're certainly happy with for the year. We, we feel like Frito had just an outstanding year and uh, would, would love to have a couple more like this one. Yeah. What, what, what we feel very strong is about the quality of our uh, commercial uh, execution in a broader sense from the way we're innovating to the way our brands are uh, coming in front of consumers, both our large brands, right, the Doritos, Lay's, Ruffles, Cheetos, but also the smaller brand, small portfolio that we're building of beautiful, beautiful small brands uh, like Smart Foods or Popcorners or um, you know, of the Eden Path and some others that are completing that portfolio to convey to multiple occasions different type of cohorts. And, and uh, I think the team is doing a fantastic job. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Robert Ottenstein with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Great. Thank you very much. Um, just wanted to kind of circle back to um, Dara's first question, and, and maybe if you could uh, give us a little bit of sense. I mean, the 6% sales growth, uh, you know, is, is there – are you contemplating, you know, any volume in that, or is it all – you know, you could almost be almost a rollover pricing from 22. So just trying to get a little bit more granular on that. Uh, and, and then, you know, how, how does the, in the U.S., how does the promotional environment look? Um, are you seeing any sense or any pull from, from retailers to, uh, to do a little bit more promo? Thank you. Yeah, Robert, it's you. Let me, let me try to take a shot at that. Um, look, I, obviously, you know, 6% revenue growth in, in consumer products is still a very ho- healthy growth rate, and, and we certainly feel good about that as the guide. Um, w- would, would we expect volumes to be down? Perhaps they'll, they'll be down a little bit. Um, you know, let, let's see how the year plays out. Right now, the consumer is still quite good, uh, but we also have to plan for, for multiple scenarios, and in the back half of the year, Given interest rates are as high as they are, it wouldn't be shocking if there were a mild recession in in, uh, in the U.S. and in some of our developed markets. Um, we, we've taken actions in terms of productivity to make sure in, in a recessionary environment we're still well insulated to hit our numbers. But we, we've got to plan the business such that, uh, you know, with interest rates as high as they are, you could certainly see uh, some impact over time on the top line. So. That, that's kind of that, the, the way that we're thinking about this one. And then let's see how the year plays out. You know, if, yeah. if the year plays out better, then, then that's great. We'll, we'll invest back, and I think we'll, everybody will be happy with that outcome. Yeah, I think, I think we've discussed in previous uh, conversations. The, uh, the way we do this process is we have multiple scenarios of things that could happen. Uh, actually, the last few years, if we've learned something, is that we should expect the unexpected. So all these scenarios – we feel good about delivering our guidance 
in any of those scenarios. Now, the, um, the role of each one of our business unit leaders is to be the plan. So that's how we're starting the year and um, how we will play the year. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Nick Modi with RBC. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, two quick questions. First, Hugh, um, on, on China and just the reopening, just wanted to get your thoughts on how we should th be thinking about some of the implications and if it's been kind of contemplated in your guidance. I mean, obviously, oil and gas pricing could, you know, is, is the obvious, but is there anything else we should be thinking about? And then, Ramona, I, I wanted to ask kind of how PepsiCo thinks about various substrates within the Frito-Lay business, right? So you think about cauliflower, rice. I mean, Frito-Lay dominates corn and potato. And just given, you know, long-term consumers seem to be kind of adopting some of these new substrates, just wanted to understand the plans PepsiCo has in terms of capacity build, or, or if you don't think these, these substrates are actually going to be meaningful in the future. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, you may take that. For, I'll, I'll cover the China, the China consumer piece as well. I think uh, this in China – uh, obviously, we're we're seeing um, the consumer kind of happy <laughs> to be free, kind of, and and the consumer will obviously uh, spend more. I think that's obvious. So there there is a uh, an opportunity in the reassessing the China demand and and what it means for all the businesses in that country. You now, so obviously we have two meaningful businesses, snacks and and beverages, and we'll. You know, I think will benefit uh, from from that uh, increased demand. Will it change the uh, the, uh, the, the the PepsiCo growth? No, uh, I think that it's it's an important market, but not to that extent. Now, uh, uh, with regards to the uh, Frito Lay uh, innovation portfolio behind, you know, uh, beyond our potatoes, our corn, our uh, wheat. Uh, we, we have already uh, large businesses in, in rice snacks, for example. You think about the Quaker snacks. We have a pretty, pretty sizable business that is in rice snacks and, and is growing very fast. Uh, within the Frito portfolio, there are also uh, different substrates uh, that, were, that were playing. Um, of the Eden Path is, is a great example. You have multigrains. You have um, you know, smaller substrates. One substrate that we like a lot is chickpea. Chickpea has a uh, you know has uh, high nutritional values and it's a uh, I think it's a substrate that we're starting to work on agro and we're starting to work on um, you know different uh, layers to create advantage in that in that substrate. So yes, we we see that strategically as a uh, incremental opportunity to broaden our portfolio beyond the more uh, traditional substrate where we've built a lot of uh, supply chain advantage and, and innovation advantage and brand advantage. But I think our brands can expand into other spaces, especially some of those smaller brands, but uh, also we're thinking about some of our bigger brands as well. And, and Nick, just to, to put a, a finer point on, on Ramon's uh, narrative around China, well, it, it's strategically quite an important market for us, obviously, given, given the size and potential there. Currently, it's about 3% of PepsiCo's sales, so it's not going to be a major driver in the numbers for a few years. Thank you. One moment for our next question. 
Our next question comes from Camilo Garjawala. The Credit Suisse, your line is open. Uh, <clears throat> hey, guys, good morning. Um, can you elaborate a bit more, perhaps, on the beverage alcohol strategy? It's been a bit of time now uh, since you first kicked it off. And, and maybe the big question is, you, you know, you talked about Frito-Lay. You have, you know, several very large, uh, very profitable businesses. Um, you know, this isn't yet one of them, but um, you know, how, how big or how far does it have to get before it can be uh, more relevant to the overall overall Pepsi story? Yeah, listen, uh, we see um, we see an opportunity in, in, in expanding our distribution capabilities to uh, other spaces in the U.S. And, and maybe eventually in other parts of the world in beverages and, and also in snacks. So uh, the alcohol uh, distribution strategy that we have uh, is one that it's, I would say, embryonary in the way that both geographically and from the amount of brands that we carry in our portfolio. Um, we, we are very um, focused in getting it right, uh, in, in getting the learnings, getting the uh, execution right is different, right, than selling our um, our soft drinks or our, uh, sport drinks or, or, or other, other brands. There are more nuances uh, regulatory-wise and, and execution-wise. So we're in that process of learning. I think strategically you should see uh, this becoming an important part of our business in the U.S., um, but we're going to learn before we, we we scale up. And I wouldn't think about this as a uh, we're going to be a alcohol distributor. I think we're going to choose a few uh, a few you know partners that will create uh, brands with us and and products, and 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 we will be distributors of a small portfolio of um, you know high potential brands rather than just a a lot of brands in our in our in our uh, distribution system, which would be too complex and probably uh, little value for us. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Chris Carey with Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. 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 Hugh. Um, I wanted to actually ask about just SG&A. Certainly, investment has been a key topic for the company as ever, but including this year and, and especially in Q4 with how the year ended. But, you know, I'm also looking at your filings this morning, which show that, you know, the distribution costs have probably been the one line item where the SG&A increases have been most significant. Clearly, marketing is growing, but not as big of a contributor. And so I'm just trying to understand, you know, what's going on here specifically. Is this your uh, being offensive with investments into your shipping and handling network? Is this natural inflation? You know, should this level of inflation on that line item specifically continue? Or as freight rates are starting to ease, should we start thinking about inflation here easing? And, and perhaps you can start investing in, in other areas. So I'm I'm really just trying to understand the complexion of spending here, just being a little bit different than you know where I would have thought it come in. So any any context would be would be very helpful. Thanks. Sure, sure, Chris. Let, let me just share a couple thoughts on that. Number one, just as a reminder, distribution is obviously highly variable with with uh, volume and uh, and with revenue as well because we we pay salesmen on commission. So that's obviously going to be a factor in the numbers. 
Number two, um, the costs that are embedded in there also include uh, the cost of creating displays in the marketplace. Uh, and that, that's part of what we represent as investment. So whether it's uh, coolers on the beverage side, either in convenience stores or front-end coolers in supermarkets or in, in mass merchants and the like, uh, and also uh, fountain equipment in, uh, in, the, uh, in the food service channels where we're growing at a, at a very healthy clip is, is a part of all that as well. Uh, in addition to that, even on the food side, uh, display racks and POS, um, all of those things that are really outsized contributors to growth that, uh, frankly, we've created a ton of win-win solutions with, with our customers on that uh, is part of what makes them uh, continue to vote for us as uh, the number one supplier in, in Cantor. Um, those investments are, are value-producing investments for, for both the customers and us. So. Uh, without getting into the granular details of how much uh, exactly is in each of those buckets, I think a lot of what you're seeing is a reflection of uh, the things that we're doing in the uh, in the selling and distribution system to drive the kind of growth that we've been seeing. Yeah, and to your question on on Q4, yes, we we uh, we decided to invest both in consumer, as you saw from our A and M growth in the quarter. And also, as he was saying, in making sure our installed uh, equipment base in the market, and this is very relevant in the U.S., but also internationally, we continue to gain space, space being a key lever of, you know, uh, for categories like ours that are impulse-based categories, space and is, is a critical lever of, uh, of performance in the marketplace and is a driver of share of market. So those two were, were there. We also invested in in systems and, and some of the uh, uh, capabilities, especially digitalization capabilities that we, we thought we had a window of investment in Q4. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our last question comes from Gerald Pascarelli with Wedbush. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Thanks very much for the question. Uh, mine is actually on energy drinks. So now that the Celsius transition has been completed, I was just looking for some color around your market strategy for driving distribution uh, for both Rockstar and Celsius in tandem. Um, are there any specific strategies or considerations around channel mix to be mindful of, um, you know, in particular, given how underpenetrated these Celsius products are at convenience? Um, any color you could provide on your strategy would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, good question. And, and, and clearly, as we said, we have four pillars in the uh, energy strategy. Um, they all become a, um, an integrated uh, portfolio as we execute in stores. So having, you know, this set of solutions with Rockstar, Celsius, Mountain Dew Energy, and coffee gives us the opportunity to go to our customers and, and strategize with them you know, uh, new space uh, opportunities that we didn't have in the past. So I think it's very positive for Celsius, and we're already seeing that if you look at the Nielsen numbers uh, or any distribution uh, metrics that you want to check. The distribution is improving. Uh, displays are improving. The same with Rockstar. Rockstar was a brand that was very Western-based and, and uh, you know, some you know, some parts of the of the U.S., and now we're expanding to other parts of the U.S. So I think there is a lot of synergies in the um, point-of-sale execution as we have a portfolio that is, um, you know, catering to different cohorts, complements each other, 
and gives the uh, our customers the opportunity to uh, to you know to to get better uh, better return on their space. So that's the strategy. It's working well. Uh, clearly, uh, Celsius is gaining market share. Uh, Rockstar is growing. Uh, as I said earlier, the Starbucks um, uh, portfolio is growing very fast now that we have better supply chain opportunities. So I, I think we're, we feel good about energy. It's a category that is growing ahead of uh, LRB again, and we need to play strong in that segment to be uh, to gain share, uh, as we uh, as we're planning to do, uh, obviously, this year. Great. I think this is the end of our um, of our uh, conversation. So thank you very much for uh, joining us in, in the conversation today, and especially thank you for the uh, confidence that you've placed in PepsiCo with your investments. We we wish you the best and hope you all stay safe and, and healthy. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's presentation. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day. Wonderful day.